Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name, oh, there you go. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be preaching to all of you in the room and also anyone on the other side of the camera. Um, we're going to walk through he, or Matthew chapter 3. So turn in your Bibles. Hopefully those are sitting on your laps. You can open to chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Have you ever seen a procession, perhaps at a wedding, where the bride is preceded, preceded by the wedding party and the flower girls to make most prominent her arrival, announced with music, right? Or the Olympics with the procession of athletes before the official beginning of the games. Everyone is dressed to represent their country and their flag, and the moment is given a touch of grandeur. Or maybe you think of the sergeant-at-arms of the House of Representatives who announces the arrival of the President of the United States before a State of the Union. Or maybe you've seen the procession of someone from a royal family. Frankly, I've, I've only seen recreations by watching The Crown, so I've, I've not done that. I'm assuming it's pretty accurate, but there's proper attire, there is proper procedure, there is an announcement. A king needs an intro. A king needs a herald to mark their arrival. A herald announces the king. And now in Matthew, after two chapters, we will meet the herald of the king. We have heard the genealogy of the king. We have seen the birth of the king. We have seen the events around the childhood of the king. But we have not heard the king. And one does not hear the king before a herald announces his arrival. Before the path is made clear for the king, it is as though the carpet is rolled out for the king. And the way made clear for the king. And for all those within earshot of the herald, specifically the herald in Matthew 3, it will be obvious that repentance is a straight path to the coming king. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In those days, in the days when the king presents himself, when the hero arrives on the scene, John the Baptist shows up. You have to keep waiting for the hero because there is another character that needs to speak. The herald must herald. So let's be introduced to this man, the herald. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. John the Baptist is called John the Baptist because he... For those of you at home, no one could hear it, actually. Uh, John the Baptist is called John the Baptist because he baptizes people. John the Baptist is John the Baptizer, John the Immerser, John the Dunker. This is not a little shout-out to a future denominational organization, okay? It is a very practical descriptor. And John, the one who baptizes, he is out in the wilderness, the wilderness of Judea, around the Jordan River. That is about 20 miles from the prominent city of Jerusalem. But it is in the wilderness. It is hilly, it is dry, it is hot. 
And that Jordan River is no Pacific Northwest Columbia River or Willamette River. It is a small river running north to south in the middle of the wilderness. And frankly, that is a strange place for the herald of the king to be. Kings are heralded in palaces, right? Or after the winning of battles or in courtyards. Kings known to the kingdoms of men are not heralded in the wilderness. But this is a different king. And he continues to flip expectations of men and the organizations of men. So the herald is in the wilderness and he is preaching. In those days he came preaching. He is proclaiming the coming of a kingdom and the appropriate action to be prepared for that coming kingdom. He proclaims, John heralds the rule of a different king. And he tells people that the best action to take in anticipation of this coming king and kingdom is repentance. So we have this man, one who baptizes out in the wilderness, proclaiming a coming kingdom, calling for repentance. What is going on? Fulfillment. Matthew says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now I don't know your assumptions, but I know what mine are and what they have been in the past. In the past, I read scripture like Matthew 3 and thought, Hmm, it seems the Old Testament was written, and while the kings or the prophets or the psalmists were writing They just dropped a little tidbit in there. And you, if you have sharp observational skills, you can find that little tidbit, which is actually a checkbox. And then in the New Testament, when you get there, there are particular people like John or, I don't know, Jesus, who check that little box. And that's a weak fulfillment. In reality, Matthew is steeped in the Old Testament. And when he gives this little quotation from Isaiah, he is giving us a handhold for the whole book of Isaiah. As if to say, I'm going to quote this little piece, but remember the prophet Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, the entire thing, the way he wrote and the themes and the language. Grab all of it and realize that all of Isaiah was written as a shadow that would be filled out in the entirety in the person of Jesus or the person of John in this particular instance. The prophets create an outline. And when it is fulfilled, it is fleshed out and colored in. The prophets create a container. And when it is fulfilled, there is not just a little water in the glass and say, huh, something in the glass, it counts. It is fully filled. It is overflowing and the contents are better than the container. That is what fulfillment is about. And how is this possible? Because God is the ultimate author of this book. And from beginning to end, he is writing one story and bringing to fulfillment one story coalescing upon the coming of a king. God is the one who put the prophet's pen to paper and pointed all of their literary genius in the direction of the coming king. And that king needs a herald. And that is why God spoke through Isaiah to speak this little quotation from Isaiah. But so much more. 
This entire passage in Matthew is steeped in the language and the shadows and the outlines and the containers of Isaiah. John the Baptist will fill that up as the herald. He will literally embody the voice in the wilderness. And he will speak the language of Isaiah. And all throughout this sermon, I will read from Isaiah to show that John is fleshing out the words of Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And do you catch all that? In Isaiah and in Matthew, for whom does the prophet proclaim? He says, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is our English way of translating Yahweh, the name of the God of Israel. Prepare the way of Yahweh. Prepare a highway for our God. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Before we even have the king on the scene in this story, it is obvious that this herald is proclaiming a God king. Now, friends, if a king is coming, you want to be prepared and facing the right direction. And if a God king is coming, you want to be prepared and facing the right direction. That is why John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is an act of turning around. And friends, know this. There are two types of people in this world. Those who are faced toward the king and those who are not. Those who welcome his rule and those who would rather act in ways antithetical to his rule. There are the repentant and the rebel. And that is why John is standing in the wilderness yelling to all who will hear, turn around. The kingdom is coming. It is nearly here. The rule of the king is almost upon us. That is John the Baptist. That is the man. Let's hear about his manner. In verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Who cares what this guy is wearing? Why does it matter? It doesn't matter if he is just a dude out in the wilderness who happens to be telling people to turn around. But it matters a great deal if John is a fulfillment, a filling out of the outlines of the past, an obvious character in the majestic storyline God is weaving. 
There is another who has clothing like John's. This is from 2 Kings in the Old Testament. They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Matthew writes this detail because John is like Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet. Even his food points to the residents of the wilderness like Elijah. Wild food. And this is a big deal, first because prophets as a whole are a portion of the revelation of God to his people. And for hundreds of years they proclaimed the Lord and the coming of his kingdom and his reign and his rule. And John is connected to that message. The prophets speak of the coming king. And if it looks like a prophet and smells like a prophet and eats like a prophet, John is a prophet. John speaks of the coming king. And secondly, this is important because the people had not heard from a prophet of the Lord in 400 years. Sit with that for a moment. For all they could tell, God was silent. He no longer proclaimed the kingdom through the prophets. He no longer had prophets proclaiming his character and his ways or telling of his promises. Does God even listen anymore? Does God speak anymore? And in that silence, then a voice is crying in the wilderness. You could almost see friends talking. Did you, did you hear about this John the Baptist? He's in the wilderness. Well, no, I have, well, he wears camel's hair. Okay? And he has a leather belt. Like Elijah? And he eats locusts and wild honey. He's out in the wilderness all the time. Like the prophets? And he's not in it for the money. He's in it for the message. He keeps proclaiming the coming kingdom. We need to go hear this man. And he speaks with the force of a prophet and people come running to hear him because he is filling out the story. God is speaking again. Matthew says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They travel some 20 miles to hear John, and they don't get to drive in the car with the air conditioning. They're running through the wilderness, going to the Jordan so they can hear this one who speaks like Elijah with the words of Isaiah. And they hear him say, Repent, turn around, and they confess their sins. Every act in the past they know they should not do. The way they curse a neighbor or cheat a business partner or coworker, their lies or their lust. The hate they have toward a frustrating neighbor or family member. The worship of gods or the pursuit of other things as though they are God. All the ways they interact in this world that are in conflict with God's good design. All their actions that are in rebellion to the Lord, to the coming king. And to mark that confession of sin, John is baptizing them in the river Jordan. We are used to Christian baptism, right? We like those. We like those events. The baptism that Jesus commanded us to do actually recorded at the end of Matthew. 
He says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But that, this baptism is before all of that. This is a baptism of preparation, a response to the announcement of a coming king. It's coupled with confession, coupled with repentance. This is a way to act on their turning from old rebellious ways toward the coming king. And John is facilitating this, facilitating that marking of their confession and repentance. This is a way to make a straight path for the coming king, a straight path through repentant hearts. And the way for the hearers to walk toward, to anticipate the coming king. We have the man, John the Baptist. We have the method and the clothes and the habits and the force of the prophets. Now beyond this call to repentance, what is his message? First, to the religious leaders. In verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Can you picture this? We are down by the river. People are confessing sin and being baptized. And these Pharisees and Sadducees crest the hill and start walking toward the river to come check out what is going on. And John the Baptist, seeing them observing, seeing their inspection, their investigation, he wants to call them out. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there are differing theological groups during first century Judaism. They had disagreements between them, different ways of looking at Scripture and acting it out, but they were both leaders of the religious order. And they shared at least one thing in common, an opposition to this message of the coming kingdom. And we shall see later an opposition to the king. And John the Baptist sees their examination of the goings-on and his welcome is cordial, friendly even. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're all a bunch of snakes. That's what he says. And the imagery is subtle here. You don't often see a brood of vipers or snakes. If you were to have a pile of sticks, they would be nestled in, avoiding contact with people. But if you light that pile of flame, you will see the number of snakes that come slithering out. The flame pushes the flight. The warning of wrath has them running. And let's point to an obvious truth. The king is coming. That is good news the king of justice and righteousness, the king who judges all righteously. It is good news to hear of the coming of that king. It is good news to hear of the coming of that kingdom if you are repentant. 
If you remain a rebel, you ought to rightly fear the coming king because his wrath will right all wrongs. And that means wrongdoers will be dealt with as they deserve. Unrepentant rebels will be punished. We should expect this from a good king. And thus the appropriateness of John's message. He says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Listen, you running snakes. May your fruit, your actions, make it obvious that you are repentant. Confession, honest participation in this baptism, preparation for the coming king, turn around. And John says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You cannot depend on your natural family or your religious credentials. Belonging to a religious family does not a repentant heart make. These religious leaders knew our father is Abraham. We are in the familial line of the man of faith. I can count my grandpa's grandpa all the way to Abraham. We are sons of the one who was given in a covenant by God. We got it made. And John echoes the language of Isaiah. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. You can't just say, I belong to Abraham, because God can make new children from the stones. God can cut more children from the rocks. Your status is not secure because you share blood. Your status is secure if you seek the Lord. If you are connected to Him, if the fruit of your life makes obvious the pursuit of righteousness. And this is a warning to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but take this warning, my friends. You are not safe from the wrath of the king because your parents or grandparents were faithful Christians. You are not safe from the wrath of the king if you have sat in the pew for decades. You are not safe if you have played the game for a long time. If you are a rebel in hiding, the king will find you. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The message of John should ring in the ears of any complacent churchgoer. He continues to speak with urgency. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fruit trees bear fruit, right? And if they do not, they are rebellious little trees. And what do you do with them if they do not bear fruit? Firewood. What was implicit with the snakes is explicit here. John is stark here. John is sharp here. The axe is laid to the root. 
Can you see how dire your situation is? Can you see, Pharisees and Sadducees, you know your heritage, you talk a good game, you know the rhythms of religious participation. Where is the fruit? The axe is laid to the root. You have only exemplified your rebellion by the lack of fruit. You have only shown that your back is turned to the king. And he is near. You don't have much time. The good king does not leave an orchard of fruitless trees. And with all John's intensity, he echoes the words of Isaiah when he proclaims that the Lord is coming. Yahweh is coming. This is from Isaiah 10. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah says, and John says, God will cut down the unrepentant forests. And it doesn't matter how big they are. When they speak of Lebanon, they're talking about the biggest trees they knew. Picture the redwoods. God will chop down the redwoods if they don't bear fruit. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees know their Bibles. They know the scroll of Isaiah. They hear the voice of the prophets. They hear the force of the call to repentance. They hear the words of the Lord. They hear the message of John. Repentance is a straight path to the coming king. To the king who is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the son of David. The one of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. They hear that message. But those Pharisees, do they listen? Those Sadducees, do they listen? John's message continues, and he broadens his audience to all that are around the river. In verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John lays out who he is in comparison to the coming one. He says, I baptize with water. I use the muddy waters of the Jordan River. I immerse you in the river for repentance sake. You turn toward the king and I immerse you in the river. That is all I can do. It is not nothing, but it is so small compared to the one coming after me. John says he is greater than I. 
He is mightier than I. He is more powerful. He is stronger. In fact, the disparity of power and importance is so large between him and I that I am not worthy to even carry his sandals. And friends, that was the worst job. The lowest servants carried sandals. The stinking, sweaty, dirty, walked-in-all-day sandals. John is saying, I am not even worthy to carry the sandals of the king. I am too small. He is powerful. A greater one is coming. The kingdom is at hand. John immerses in water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John immerses in a river. He will immerse you in God himself. Is that good? John speaks of the Spirit poured out, and so did Isaiah. In chapter 44, he says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit, this is God talking, upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, The Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. The Lord is coming. It is all pointing to him. This story is for him, and he will pour his spirit out so completely that previously disconnected people will say, I am the Lord's. Look, I wrote it on my hand. I am the Lord's. I belong to God. And he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's bigger than water. John says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Lord, the King, comes with fire, with judgment. For the rebellious, fire is the judgment of punishment. For the repentance, it is purification. Again, Isaiah 4. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. This is beautiful. The Lord, the coming King, will cleanse you. You will be called holy. Those who belong to the one who is coming, the one who the the herald proclaims. John can immerse in muddy water. The coming King will make us clean in our very hearts, cleansing our souls, washing away our shame. John continues his message. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Frankly, I've read this a hundred times in my life. And I usually just breeze through it, excited to get to the baptism of Jesus, right? That's next week. 
But I had to do a deep dive into this and was slapped in the face by the starkness of the message of John. John is exceedingly clear about the ramifications of the arrival of the coming king. This is the one in the wilderness making a straight path for the coming of the Lord. And there is no straighter path than to make it blindingly obvious. You are either with the coming king or you are against him. And the king is not impotent. The king is not powerless to wield justice and righteousness. The king will organize ultimately the rebels from the repentant. The winnowing fork took the wheat and that was the tool that moved it to the threshing floor where the separation was accomplished. The wheat remains on the floor taken to the barn, fruitful and good, and the inedible chaff moved to the side for burning. And who else spoke like this? Say it with me now. Isaiah 41. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory. The outline of this threshing, this arranging of the wheat and the chaff, has been spoken for a long time, and now John is giving it voice. The threshing will occur, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable flame. It will not be put out. There is no escape for the rebels. The king will not be outsmarted or evaded. And again, it is as though the hammer of the prophets is being wielded over and over and over, as though to say all of this points the same direction. The storyline is the kingdom. The king is coming. The Lord is coming. The mightier one is coming. The outcome of the rebellion is not of little consequence. He will deal with the rebels with an unquenchable fire. These are the last words of the book of Isaiah. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. There is nothing appealing about this picture of the death of rebels. It is horrifying. But it is a fitting judgment for insistent rebellion against the good king. 
It takes into account the severity of rebelling against the king of the universe. The one who made the heavens and the earth that we have bent with our sin and rebellion. The one who has made good ways, worshipful ways for us to move in this world and we have gone in the opposite direction. This good king is so good, he will not allow our bentness to forever shape the universe, but will make the new heavens and the new earth. There is nothing light about rebelling against this good king. The good and gracious God who wrote this whole story, who wrote this whole existence, and who inserted himself into this story, into this embodied reality to beat back evil forever and to reign with justice and righteousness forever. He will deal rightly with unrepentant rebels. And he is a good king desirous to rescue repentant rebels. John the Baptist stood in the wilderness and proclaimed loud and clear, I am making a straight path for the coming king. I can't even carry his sandals. This man, his method, his message are all greater than me, but the first step remains the same. Repentance is always the path to connection with the king with the Savior. If you are an unrepentant soul, I pray that these words have shaken your heart and put fear in you, that you are on a collision path with the coming King who will not be negligent about your rebellion. Take action. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is coming. Or friend, if you have found yourself complacent and leaning on your heritage or your history, take action. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is coming. And know this. We know his name. In Matthew 1, 21, we've read this in prior weeks. The angel says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. This coming king will without doubt or hesitation judge rebels. But this King Jesus will also gladly save his people from their sins. Turn around. Turn toward the King. Your sins are great, but he is greater. I'm going to leave a minute here for us to sit in prayerful silence. If there is need to repent, please do so. Turn to Jesus. Tell him, I am turning towards you, Jesus. I don't want to be a rebel anymore. Don't move on from this time disconnected 
from the king. In a few moments, I will pray. Lord, this message of John is stark and heavy and does not allow us to beat around the bush or waver in our action. It is clear we either are either rebels or repentant. Please convict the hearts of every rebel in this room or with an earshot of my voice and draw them to repentance. And Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are a powerful king that baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. May that be an encouragement to every repentant one this morning. Give them confidence in the reality that they have been immersed in God. And that cannot be reversed. Amen.